somebody special. And we can ask to sing happy anniversary, too. Yeah, that's right. We can't do it for one, not for all. Welcome to episode 246 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Um, we're going to do another email show today, and we're going to do that for a couple of reasons. One is that we had uh, more good emails than we were able to answer yesterday. And two is that uh, it was either this or taking All-Star Week off, and this is the compromise we reached. So mm-hmm. uh, here we go. Um, the, the first question wait, might be the Wait, wait, I have a thing to say. Sure. Uh, first of all, happy birthday. Uh, the other thing is that it's our anniversary. Really? Yeah. I was wondering, You're saying that I was wondering episode if you one noticed. was on my birthday? Well, technically it's now your, it's the day after your, well, it's the day after your birthday if you're listening to this on Thursday. But yeah, I guess we recorded our first show on your birthday. Huh. How about that? Yeah. So 246 episodes in 365 days. Hmm, interesting. And do you, uh, I remember uh, my first topic? I believe was Araldus Chapman. I think we just didn't we just do one on that day, or, or maybe no, not? no, no, no. The, the premise was already. I remember talking for a while about uh, why we were doing this. Not that long, no. It was a nine-minute show. Yeah, right. Well, anyway. Well, I'm, so I'm happy, happy that we've yes, I'm happy that we've done this, and I I met a bunch of our listeners at a BP event the other day, and it was great to meet everyone and hear their stories about when they listen to the show, uh, and it's it's been fun. And we we recently got enough positive reviews on iTunes to outweigh the early reviews that were like, I want to like this show, but these guys sound like they've been lobotomized. Uh, so now we are, we are a five-star podcast on iTunes, which makes me question the wisdom of crowds. Well, I'm grateful. Even if you're snarky, I'm grateful. <laughs> I am, yeah, I am too. Thank you, people. All right. Yeah. So let's let's move on. The okay. first question might be the last question because it's a it's a very long question, and we have actually engaged a, an attorney to answer it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Jason Wojciechowski is with us, um, the great Jason Wojciechowski, mm-hmm. uh, and he's gonna he's gonna answer this. Um, so the question is from David, um, and he says, "Have you two obtained express written consent from Major League Baseball before discussing or writing about baseball games?" Do you obtain written consent for each specific game you want to talk about or write about? Or have you asked for a blanket written consent to discuss and write about accounts of all baseball games? Either way, I'd love for you to post on the website the signed permission slip from Bud Selig. But hold on. Can Major League Baseball grant blanket written consent? That seems to be counter to their disclaimer that you'd need express written consent to talk about the account of a game. Or maybe I'm not entirely clear what express means in this phrase. Does it mean quick? No, it probably means explicit or distinct. So I suppose MLB has some lawyer working full-time, devoting all of his time, granting all of the writers at Baseball Prospectus express written consent to discuss accounts of each individual game every day of the season and pre- and post-season. Also, if I wanted to ask you a question on this podcast about something I noticed in a baseball game, would you require me to show you written permission from MLB about my authorized ability to describe the account of the game? If not, aren't you sort of encouraging all of us to flagrantly disregard MLB's mandate? I'm very concerned that pretty soon Bud Selig is going to start cracking down on this 
And I want to make sure that my favorite podcast and website are taking the necessary legal precautions to avoid some sort of 100-game suspension or whatever penalty Bud can impose. Jason, we've all heard the express written consent phrase thousands of times. Uh, could probably, many of us, get close to, to reciting it by heart. Uh, it's one of the first, you know, it's really one of the first uh, indoctrinations you get to the game is, is being told repeatedly that you have no rights to use the game. Um, and so we wanted to find out from you, because I've never thought about it before, how binding is the express written consent clause or a disclaimer, I guess, in Major League Baseball games? Does it mean anything? Is it necessary? And should we actually be worried about our casual use of the accounts and descriptions of the games? Um, no. Mm. All right. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the answer to all of the things that you said was no, although not entirely sure. Uh, well, so so let me ask you this. Uh, maybe like one it, one at a time. I mean, like the, the the short the short version is that um, every content owner uh, in the history of copyright has um, done everything they can within and outside the law to um, maximize the revenue that they can get from that content. And you know, you hear about, or at least lawyers hear about the. Mickey Mouse uh, copyright. I don't remember if that's exactly the phrase they use, but um, it is not in the usual way that we use Mickey Mouse. But it is literally because Disney um, has gone into court, not gone into court, gone and lobbied Congress to get extensions on copyright every time Mickey Mouse is about to enter the public domain. Um, so you've got, you know, it starts out at death of, or you know, 40, I don't know, let's just say 50 years after creation, something passes into the public domain. Disney doesn't like that. They go back. They get, you know, an extension. Now it's like death plus 75 years so it's of the creator. So it's basically forever and ever. And the, so baseball is not doing anything that um, content owners and content creators have um, not – I've mixed myself up with negatives. But basically they're acting in the way that content owners always do. Um, and in this case, going far beyond um, any – uh, normal or reasonable understanding of their rights under the copyright law um, by, at the very least, implying that you can't talk about the game without their permission. There's been a, a separate dispute about whether the stats are copyrighted, right? Because that's been an issue with, with fantasy leagues about whether... Yeah, I, I remember, I think um, the NBA actually got into some litigation there. And if I remember right, um, free culture people were not, uh, my, you know, myself included, um, although I don't follow it enough to really count myself in that same uh, group, were not happy with the result. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I, you know, knowing the way the courts treat copyright and knowing the way the courts think about these things, I, I'm sure um, uh, the sports leagues have a pretty solid claim on the stats that are created. Although I might be misremembering, it might be my cynicism rather than my actual memory of the law speaking. So um, getting away for a second about what copyright protection they have, does the disclaimer itself have any relevance? I mean, do their rights as copyright holders get stronger if they read this disclaimer? Is it like, is there any reason that I should be more worried because they keep telling me this? Or is the disclaimer itself completely irrelevant to their legal standing? The disclaimer is irrelevant to their legal standing. Um, all it 
might do, and this is where the my sort of weakness of really the nitty gritty of copyright um, comes in, is you might get some, um, like you 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 had knowledge of of the fact that that they owned this copyright um, and that you shouldn't have been copying, and therefore you should have to pay not just for their damages, not just for the, the money they lost because you copied, but for some sort of punitive um, uh, award as well, some sort of um, uh, exemplary kind of, you know, money because it's money, basically, rather than money representing uh, a loss to MLB. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's the only thing that I can think of, because in general, you know, one of the interesting features of copyright, for instance, um, is that you don't you don't have to register to get copyright. People people think you have to register something with the copyright office in order to say that you have copyright. As soon as you write something down, you have copyright. Um, you know, you you have the, the the protections of the copyright law in that thing that you've created. Um, and, and so this is another thing. You don't have to you don't have to put in everything that you put out. Don't copy this. Um, it, in order to invoke the protection, you just, you created it, you own it. That's, that's the essential, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's shading around that, but that's the essential regime of copyright. What's sort of interesting is that, um, I've always thought of this as being something that announcers read, but I I feel like I've noticed more and more in recent years that this is something that is part of the broadcast that, um, that is played automatically, like as they're coming out of the ad. Uh, the ad time. And, and, you know, even if it is the broadcasters, it is 10 seconds, 15 seconds of broadcast real estate that they're committing to this that could be an ad. It seems like a lot, uh, I mean, if you add it up cumulatively, it seems like a lot of money that they're, um, that, you know, major league teams and and broadcasts are, are, are forfeiting just to, uh, to read this disclaimer that it doesn't seem to have that much relevance. I mean, even if, if MLB has, you know, a, a very strict interpretation as as they would of their copyright um, uh, ownership, uh, you know, you don't see them out there making like a, you know, first off, you don't see their copyright being, uh, I would say, explicitly abused very often, and you don't see them taking great pains to enforce it. Besides, you know, like their relationship with YouTube and and whatnot, um, it it's hard to imagine how this disclaimer is a profitable disclaimer for them. Well, I would argue that their approach to YouTube is, um, you know, I, I think you sort of put it to one side, but compare it to the way that the NBA has treated YouTube. And um, I, I think it's really, uh, I think they have taken the strongest possible approach or compare it to how HBO has treated YouTube. You can find, you could piece together the entire five series, five seasons of The Wire from clips yeah. on HBO, uh, when, I mean, on uh, YouTube. Yeah, and, my point, uh, that clearly and, they, right, they are, they, they, are, they are much stricter with YouTube stuff. My point is simply that, that when they want to pull things off YouTube, they simply call YouTube and ask them to pull it off. It's not, uh, you know, it's not like the disclaimer is is what's keeping things from YouTube. It's just that YouTube right. has a you know pretty lenient uh, uh, policy of reacting to copyright claims. The the other the other question I don't know point that 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 raises is um, in my memory at least these things happen mid inning often rather than coming out of commercial. Um, batter strikes out. They trudge slowly back to the uh, back to the dugout. Next batter comes in. That's plenty of time. And and that, oh. in my memory, is where the warning always happens. Is in that time when they would when the announcers would just be yammering on um, about 
you know, ice cream because it's the eighth inning of yeah. a seven to two game. Yeah. And and so Ray Fossey is you know getting hungry and he starts talking. And instead, um, you know, Glenn Kuyper has to read the warning. Um, so, you know, yeah, Dippin' Dots lose uh, free <laughs> free advertising. Yeah. But um, so I'm not sure that at least in, in the way that the broadcasts work now, I mean, they, they, they I guess bless MLB so far for not selling that time in between batters um, <laughs> or at least not overly selling that time in between batters. I mean, you still get your, the weather report is always sponsored and this and that are always sponsored. So to the, to a certain extent they're doing it and, and therefore theoretically that 15 seconds could be sold. Um, but I, I think they're probably not l- losing an entire, you know, an entire between innings ad. Do you think well, the Do- yeah, the, I know that the Dodgers do. Their radio is is the it's before like the start of the fourth inning or something, and it's coming out of the ad. So if if possible, if everybody wants to, if you hear this disclaimer, let's say in the next three or four days, just shoot us an email and let us know uh, what what team's broadcast it was and uh, when it was. If it was during ad time or if it was in between batters. Do you think it's more of a protection for some sort of live account competition? I mean, once the once the game is over, it's it's to baseball's benefit for us to talk about it and tell people what happened, especially for most of baseball history when you couldn't just go watch that game after it was over. Uh, so is it is it more of a protection for, say, you know, if, if Sam and I decided that we wanted to do play-by-play all of a sudden and we, we just called a game and we streamed it online somehow— uh, and people decided to listen to that instead of the radio broadcast or something, then I would expect to get some sort of letter telling us to stop doing that, probably. Yeah, I think that's um, th- this is this is another area that, if I remember right, the NBA has litigated, um, which was in uh, text alerts. I think it was like Sprint or somebody right, right. Um, would would you know keep you up to date on the game, and and they basically you know, said, no, you have to buy a license to that data. You can't just watch the TV and input it into your system. You have to buy our data stream. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that is um, now it, it, it's uh, that that is that is certainly or that is very likely what they want to prevent um, from happening, whether they can legally do it. Um, is another question whether they could shut down just you know a thousand sort of simulcasts essentially um, if if people were to really dedicate themselves to this and get good enough um, I don't know hardware and connectivity to to actually be able to call the game live uh, because that's hard um, you, you you know you're going to have a little bit of a delay potentially you're going to be everybody's going to be in a different place listening to your webcast um, so it'd be kind of weird but assuming you could figure it out. Um, you know, can MLB really stop you from describing in words the action that's going on? I, I don't know. It's not entirely clear to me that that is a valid um, uh, use of the copyright. I mean, in particular, what if you're doing it from the park? Mm-hmm. Um, then I guess there's rules about they own the park. It's a private place. They can kick anybody out that they want to kick out. But... Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of exercising copyright, it cre- you know, physical activity is not a thing that you copyright. The, 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 the copyright is in the expression um, via, you know, via video, via audio. Um, so 
Yeah, that that raises a lot of. I mean, that that is yes, I, I agree with you that I think that that's um, one thing they're concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely raises a lot of questions about whether they're legally allowed to be concerned about them. Okay, well, we probably won't be the the ones to put that to the test. But if anyone comes after us for podcasting, would you represent us? Um, no. <sighs> Uh, I, think, has, I think it would be malpractice for me to represent you um, it, in a copyright ben, case. Mm-hmm. Ben, Ben, as I recall, this is actually an idea that I remember people bringing up. I don't think it was BP people bringing it there up. There was, a, remember... yeah, like a Sabre broadcast or something. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Like, I've around, heard like, the mid about it on the Productive Outs. They've talked about that. Uh-huh. Right. Doing it. although theirs wouldn't be so much a saber as just like a goofing on people's faces, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Saying like blah. a mystery mystery science theater kind of a thing, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, great. This is. Uh, thank you very much, Jason. That, I'm uh, really glad that you explained that. I will never hear that quite the same. Yes. Thank you. Sure. All right. We'll let you go. Go eat your pizza. I will do that. Thanks. Right. Have a okay. good rest of your podcast. We will Thanks. Try. Goodbye, Jason. Barely even an email. I mean, that was a legitimate 15-minute topic right there. Yes, right. All right. Um, so next question is from David, who uh, asks – the last one. Wasn't the last one from David? Was it? It's the same guy. Same David. It's the same guy. Double dipping. I'm looking. It is. He's, he is double dipping. Two good questions, David. Uh, not good enough to get answered yesterday, though. Uh, all right. David asks this time – Let's say you have the perfect pitcher. He has an 80 fastball, 80 control, 80 command, 80 curve, 80 changeup, no flaws. He's not superhuman. He can't throw 150-mile-per-hour fastballs, and his pitches do not break the laws of physics. Now let's say you have the perfect offensive player, and then he goes through the exact same rules for an offensive player. My question is, what would the batting and pitching lines be for each player if they played a season worth of at-bats pitches against each other? Assume an adequate defense behind the pitcher. So um, he has a hypothesis, but I want to hear what you think. So this is this is kind of that that question about whether good pitching beats good hitting, right? I guess it is. And, so and we I'm always hear that. This is, this is why I ask because I have always had a very strong opinion about this this idea, uh-huh. and so it's a good it's a good time to talk about it. So that is exactly what it is. So what do you think? Uh, my inclination is just kind of to think that uh, that that it works both ways. That good hitting beats good pitching also. And good pitching beats good hitting sometimes. And I guess I would kind of expect it to just be sort of a league average line with these guys facing each other. So I think it's without question that good pitching does beat good hitting. And I'll tell you why I think that. Okay. It, every every level you go from T-ball up, uh, offense goes down. Um, if you look at eight-year-olds playing baseball, the score is going to be 30 to, to you know 23. And if you look at college or high school, it's going to be, you know, generally it's going to be higher. How much uh, of that is defense, though? Well, because um, an eight-year-old can't catch the ball pro- or throw I think it. Pro- yeah, I think a lot of it is probably defense, but I think the main thing, the main thing is that uh, the the big disadvantage that a pitcher has is that he has to act first and he has to throw a strike. Now, of course, he can throw a pitch that's not in the strike zone and get a, a swing on it, but basically. He has to act first, and he has to perform his job. And if he doesn't perform his job, then the hitter gets a pass. And the higher up you go, the more likely it is that the pitcher is going to be able to do what he wants to do and put the pressure on the hitter. So um, 
if you looked at the All-Star game yesterday, and, you know, it was low scoring, and I, I would guess that most of the All-Star games over the past few years have been low scoring. I haven't looked that up. I might be pretty quickly uh, disproven, mm-hmm. but postseason, runs go way down in the postseason. And part of that is that, um, you know, the back end of the rotation, the back end of the bullpen aren't being used. But right, I believe— Clayton Kershaw pitching in relief. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was talking about the postseason. Oh, but, yeah. um, but, I mean, I believe that it's because— um, when you when you raise the standard for both hitting and pitching, uh, that you will always see offense go down. So, and and also I think, if I'm not mistaken, that this is basically um, this is what you see throughout history in Major League Baseball is that pitching gets the upper hand to the point where some change happens in baseball. Usually, like expansion is a change, and whenever you have expansion offense always goes up at expansion because the the overall quality of play has gone down. It's been spread out further, right? And so you have more mm-hmm. players, more hitters, more pitchers, and so offense goes up. And then uh, as, you know, the as as the league grows, as the population grows, as as more players play, um, and as pitchers kind of get better and develop new things, Pitchers get the upper hand again. It gets kind of out of hand, and either there's a rule change or there's some expansion or there's there's some outside force that usually brings the equilibrium back. But the 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 cycle throughout history has always been uh, that as as the league gets better, unless an outside force acts, pitchers regain the upper hand. So shouldn't this be testable then, if uh... Like, you know, the, the log five method that you used in an article recently to mm-hmm. to figure out yeah. what the expected strikeout rate would be when high strikeout pitchers face high strikeout hitters. And you can use that that same formula to figure out the expected batting average or, or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. So you could then do that and and see whether hitters underperform that under that expected line when good pitchers are pitching. That should be testable. If you, I, I don't quite know enough about how the log five method works. I know how to implement it, but right. I don't know enough about the, the, the foundation of it mm-hmm. to know whether this is actually perfectly statistically rigorous. Um, like, I don't know if this is a thing that is an estimate or if it is actually like mathematically sound. Mm-hmm. So somebody smarter than me would yes. tell me that. But yeah, it does seem like it should be okay, well, testable. Russell Carlton, Dan Brooks, uh, someone like that who's listening, maybe can email and tell us, or maybe we can just do it and see what what happens. Sounds good. Okay. Um, do you want it? Wait, do you want to give a line? Be the eighty oh, pitcher and the eighty hitter. Uh, give me the batter's line for a year. And and as oh so yeah, I'll uh, let me see if I can find it, but. Uh, David speculates that um, that the that the hitter against the league average might hit something like 425, 625, 825, but having 600 plate appearances against the perfect pitcher is going to temper those statistics. So let's say this hitter is a 425, 625, 825 hitter. Although I think that if you were hitting that, you would probably would have a higher slugging percentage. But anyway, mm. uh, let's say he's that hitter uh, against the equivalent pitcher. Where where do you think he is? And the league average these days is something like a seven twenty or something OPS. Uh, jeez. Um, and he is facing a guy who, just to be clear, he's, is the equivalent right. of a four twenty five, six twenty five, eight twenty five hitter. So I yeah. So I guess if I'm sticking with my 
with my original hypothesis that good pitching doesn't really beat good hitting, then I, I have to say it's just a league average line, right? All right. I will say lower than league average. I'll say something like uh, 235, uh, 280, um, 420. I'm going to say the power is mostly still there. Uh, and we should be able to log five even that, right? If we yeah. assigned if we assigned equivalent pitcher and hitter stats, we could even log five that and find out what log five says. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Did you, by chance, find a hitter-pitcher matchup? Can I ask this yes, one about Yes, you can ask that. All right, so uh, Paul says, your Ray Durham-Mariano-Rivera discussion about Ray Durham being um, uh, 0 for 28 without having ever reached base against Mariano-Rivera made me think about my favorite hitter-batter matchup, Johan Santana versus Johnny Peralta. Peralta hasn't gone hitless against him, but he is 4 for 30 with 22 Ks. That's a that's a exciting line mm-hmm. i always think of this matchup whenever it is said that we should ignore these kind of matchups due to small sample sizes over several years etc but clearly peralta has no chance against johan right uh i wanted to ask you we'll, we'll get to that but i wanted to ask you if you have a favorite hitter pitcher matchup yeah uh i like ones that that take on a life of their own kind of and become so well known that that one player performs better than usual against the other that it then starts to it starts to affect uh lineup decisions and start sit decisions and it just it kind of takes on this whole mystique so uh my favorite one i think is enrique wilson versus pedro martinez um which which (laughs) about 10 years ago uh in new york was was a well-known thing that enrique wilson uh (laughs) <laughs> a, a, I don't know, a, a, I guess a, an average-ish sort of utility player uh, owned Pedro Martinez. And it became so well-known to the point that he would he would be like a Pedro Martinez specialist. Like Joe Torre would plug him into the lineup when the Yankees faced Boston to get Enrique Wilson some at-bats against Pedro Martinez. Uh, and it, it's the, it was great because... Pedro was, of course, as at the the peak of his powers as possibly the best pitcher ever, uh, and the idea that that anyone really could could have his number at the time seemed sort of far fetched. And the idea that that if anyone did, it would be Enrique Wilson of all people <laughs> was just was great. Uh, and so Enrique he faced he faced. Can I t- okay? Go ahead. I go, if you don't say this, I will. I will say it. So okay. go ahead. So so Enrique Wilson in the regular season faced Pedro Martinez 27 times, uh, and he went 11 for 25 with the walk and I don't know where the other plate appearance went. Um, Sacrifice bunt. Okay. Uh, so yeah. So that's 462 uh, or uh, 440, 462, 600. Um, and then in the postseason, uh, he wasn't so great. So if you if you combine regular season and postseason, then it it's uh, twelve for thirty three. Um, and but it it was just it's so uh, like um, I I googled quickly just to look for some stories from the time, and and there was a a New York Times story from October eleventh, two thousand three, uh, when so Enrique Wilson says now everybody is talking about it, and there's some people ticked off in the Dominican because I always hit Pedro. They love Pedro over there in the Dominican. I don't think there's anyone who wants me to get a hit. Some of them hate me. Uh, and and apparently <laughs> apparently he was wary about wandering the streets. 
uh, when he was home. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about that. Yeah. Now I feel bad making that joke. <laughs> and he and he was Dominican. <laughs> so uh, Dominicans hated Enrique Wilson for hitting well against another Dominican pitcher. Uh, and there was just kind of this whole playful back and forth for a while where when he would get a hit off Pedro, Pedro would like laugh and smile about it. And, uh, Grady Little called it a freak of nature. And he said they had discussed an approach for suppressing Wilson. Um, and it was just kind of this whole fun back and forth, except like <laughs> clearly Joe Torre seemed to actually believe there was something to this cause he would, he would start him. Uh, and Jorge Posada called him our little secret weapon against Pedro and all this ridiculous stuff. Uh, so, and, and the, I was looking at a story from August, uh, of 2003 about, about this history. And then in the, in the postseason of 2003, after that was written, Wilson went one for seven against him. And then in 2004 went one for five against him. So, uh, it didn't really last shockingly. Um, but it was, it was fun while it did. Yeah. He, uh, he actually has twice as many plate appearances against Pedro <laughs> than against any other pitcher in the, in the world. And partly that's because of the, you know, the, uh, the division, but I mean, it really does. There is indication that they were really doing all they could <laughs> yeah, to get him, absolutely. to get him plate appearances. Yeah. Now he did the, his, he had one walk in 30 uh, you know, 30, 35. 30, 35 plate appearances. So he's clearly not, you know, he's not walking. Mm-hmm. And he's had a 120 isolated power all on doubles. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't that. And so you would probably would say, you know, Babbitt fluke. But he did only strike out three times in 35 plate appearances mm-hmm. against Pedro, which is probably, I mean, for players who had anywhere near that amount of plate appearances against Pedro, it's pro- if it's not the top, it's near the top. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, I could sort of see why somebody might get you know, fooled. He puts yeah. the bat on the ball. What else do you, I mean, against Pedro, a guy who puts the bat on the ball is kind of your best option. There's yeah. not a lot you're going to do besides that. Yeah. I know he's got confidence in me when Pedro's on the mound. Wilson said of Tori, he knows I can hit this guy and I can, <laughs> this guy, this, this guy, <laughs> I can hit him. He knows I can hit this guy and I can help the team to win every time he pitches. <laughs> wow. So, that's Amazing. my favorite. Yeah. Well, my favorite is uh, is Sergio Romo against Ricky Weeks, and I every couple weeks uh, I think, oh, I got to check to see if the Giants are playing the Brewers because when they play the Brewers, I'm definitely doing like a GIF retrospective of this. Mm-hmm. But um, Sergio Romo has faced Ricky Weeks um, six times, and he struck out all six times, mm-hmm. uh, all of them swinging, half of them on three pitches. And so these six plate appearances have taken 22, 22 pitches, and 19 have been sliders, and 10 of those 19 have been swinging strikes, <laughs> and Weeks has not yet touched a ball. So 22 <laughs> pitches, and Weeks has not fouled a pitch off. And you should see the gifts. I mean, like, when, when they're coming, you will want to see them. They are incredible. You have never seen a batter look so bad. I did a, I did a whole post once on batters swinging at sliders from Sergio Romo that were, like, two, <laughs> two feet outside. I don't remember whether Weeks was one of them. but Weeks might have been all of them. Uh, so, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I sort of, I basically agree with uh, Paul that, I mean, it's impossible to have watched these plate appearances and not conclude that 
Ricky Weeks has no chance against Romo. But I'm also, you know, I know that that's that that there's a lot of false positives in these sorts of things and that probably Ricky Weeks will homer his next time up and that, you know, just as soon as you think you've noticed something. I mean, just as soon as Joe Torre or whoever it was noticed that Enrique Wilson hits Pedro Martinez, he stopped. Right. You know, he got terrible in the postseason. So, mm-hmm. uh, all right, last question is a quick one, and you might sit this one out, but it's from John who says, um, I'm the proud father of a two-month-old girl. I love her to death, but I haven't been to a game yet this year, and I'm missing live baseball like crazy. At what age is it acceptable, appropriate, advisable to take a child to a professional baseball game? And John and I have uh, gone back and forth a little on this um, because I haven't taken my child to a baseball game. She's a little older than two uh, because she would hate it. She would, I mean, she wouldn't hate it, but she would, she wouldn't care for it. And you know, you don't after about. 12 minutes she would start to you know get bored and she doesn't the thing about it is that it's not just that she doesn't know the rules of baseball it's that she doesn't know the premise of competition she it just would not register anything in her mind she doesn't know competition so as far as having a a, any sort of meaningful experience uh, my parents didn't take me to a ball game until I was six uh, and I didn't really I didn't follow baseball until I was six I didn't collect cards until I was six and seven is the year I really geared up and started listening to every game and knowing the players. My guess is that maybe I would have handled five. I probably wouldn't go earlier than that if you expect them to get anything out of it. But John's question is more along the lines of, of appropriateness. Right, like, etiquette. You know, treat, yeah, treating a ball game almost like, like you know, you, would you take a two-year-old to a movie? You know, mm-hmm. there's, like a, there's like a two-week sweet spot where you can take a kid to a movie. But otherwise, basically, you, you know, you wouldn't. And um, But people so, do. Many people do. People do to like the eleven o'clock showing of Iron Man three. <laughs> yep. By the way, yes, like three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, golly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, I took my, I t- we took our three month old to a movie and it was amazing. She slept through the entire thing. But like a week earlier, it wouldn't have worked, and a week later, it wouldn't have worked. We found the sweet spot. Anyway, uh, the point is that I don't think that there is any restriction on when you can take a child to a baseball game. Mm-hmm. Uh, John will learn this, but. Out, there is a huge difference between outdoor and indoor. Right. Yeah. Almo- there is almost no place that's inappropriate to take a child outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sound gets dispersed uh, in such a different fashion that it, it really can't possibly be as disruptive as it is indoors. And ballparks, people move around a lot. Nobody's going to expect you to even sit there for three hours so Mm -hmm. if you're walking around a lot if you're going out to the concourse and walking if you're going to different parts of the park it would be really super duper easy to take a kid i think a newborn would be fine i think a three-year-old would be fine i think a two-month-old would be fine there is no age at which i think anybody would hold it against you so long as you're willing to you know leave your seat for a few innings and walk around yep i completely agree i've seen so many babies in places where babies had no business being, it seemed to me, uh, but ballparks are not one of them. That wouldn't bother me at all. You could go walk around the concourse, or or I can go walk around the concourse, and your baby won't bother me, so... And John, you'll almost never. You're you're likely to never be on camera at a baseball game. They're never gonna. They're, I mean, I'm I'm looking at a picture of you, John. You're a fine-looking man, because uh, you emailed on Gmail so I can see your picture. And but you know, you're, they're not, the camera's not seeking out you know you to show you on camera. You bring a two-month-old, you're gonna get on TV. Right, and you could be in one of those legendary gifts where a foul ball comes and you drop your baby so you can catch it or something, and you'll end up on <laughs> end up on Deadspin. Um, so. So that's the show. Yeah. And we'll that's, be back tomorrow. That's year one.
Year one. <laughs> year one. Well, well, now we're on year two. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. This is year two. Yesterday was the end of year one. So that's... Here we are, year two. <laughs> if we were Will Leach, we might be starting to call this season two. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, then we'll be back with one more show tomorrow. Go tweet at Jay Jaffe and tell him what you're drinking. Well, I'll put it on untapped and he can see it. He follows me. Wait, what? what? Is tapped? Hang on. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's like a beer Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's oh, beer. No. It, it's more like, I would call it like beer beer Goodreads or beer Foursquare. Beer Pinterest? Beer. Nah, it's not really Pinteresty. It really is. It's a check in service. Um, so. You've, I'm sure you've seen people tweet the links. There, I just did one, so now you can see it. No. Well, I can't because I just unfollowed you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's sort of rude. <laughs>